Friends, would you stand, please, for the reading of the Lord's Word. This morning we are in Colossians chapter 1. And I will be reading through verse 14 of chapter 1. Again, listen to the Lord's Word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated? Again, Lord, we ask that your blessing now be upon your word and upon this servant. We pray that you will help my words be plain and faithful and that you would give ears to your people to hear. To this end, we pray for the outpouring of your spirit, Father, which does not come with chaos, but comes, Father, with a quietness and a and in a listening for my brothers and sisters who may be uh, torn in their minds this morning. We pray that you would give them peace and that they would, too, be encouraged. We do ask all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Yesterday, as I mentioned in prayer, there was a shooting in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. Thirteen people were shot, and ten of those thirteen died. They have come face to face with their creator and their judge. Uh, always a reminder to us that you never know. Some One of my children said, you know, a, a grocery store, that's one place you expect to be able to go and not to have to contend with guns, right? Or with people who misuse uh, these things to harm people. Those left behind, no doubt, feel very helpless. Politicians and lawmakers feel helpless. They are left speechless, knowing that uh, they should say something, but not knowing what to say. Uh, They oftentimes say, our thoughts and prayers are with you. We should hope that they are. That would be a wonderful thing if our politicians indeed are praying for us. We should welcome that. But we shouldn't be surprised by those who in the aftermath, and we've begun to see this more and more, uh, it's more uh, indication in my mind that our culture is 
degenerating. Um, because who would fight against prayer? Who would say, ah, oh, that's baloney. Don't, don't give me this prayer stuff. And yet we, we hear these types of things, this mocking. Yeah, prayers. Did them a lot of good, didn't it? Or we must do something other than or more than prayer. Uh, people are skeptical anymore of prayer. Many don't believe it does any good. And fundamentally, I think many in the church don't believe it does any good either. And that's why oftentimes we don't do it. <clears throat> we pray, but God doesn't do what we ask, someone says. I asked for healing, but he didn't heal me. I prayed for more money, but it didn't come. I prayed for a job, but it wasn't the one I wanted. See, it didn't work. It's not going to bring my loved ones back. And so we have people becoming more cynical, and they are doubters. But I want to remind you, because I think this is one of those ploys of the devil, is to keep us away from prayer. Right? He whispers in our ear, it didn't work. He's not listening. But friends, the problem is not with prayer, nor is the problem with God who hears prayers, but with the individual who does not have a relationship with the Lord because he does not know Jesus Christ. He has no access to the throne of grace. That's where prayer begins, friends. It begins with a turning to Christ as our high priest, who alone provides the access to God, the Father. So if your prayers aren't being heard, you may ask yourself, have I been born again in Jesus Christ? Otherwise, you may be a Christian, but you may be asking with the wrong desires and the wrong motives. Said James in chapter 4, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Do not make the mistake that so many in our world do make, uh, and in the church. That is, the belief that prayer doesn't work and that it is ineffective. Um, that would undermine the very passage that we're looking at today. James again says that prayer is effective. He says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And Jesus said this in John 14, we have this assurance given to us that whatever we ask in Jesus' name, that will he do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If we ask him anything in his name, he will do it. That's a promise given to us. So I know some young man is going to say, well, I'm going to pray for a four-wheeler, and I'm going to say in Jesus' name, and now I'm going to get it. That's not what Jesus is instructing here. And I only use a child uh, for an illustration because they won't get upset with me like some of you might if I had said the same thing to the adults. And that's the way we've been programmed like Americans to think if I just do this thing, if I check the right boxes, if I put together the right formula, God's going to work for me. And that's how many televangelists sell Jesus. We market. It's shameful what we have done. Jesus' words are true, friend, but I had, a, I had a professor who said this. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But somehow, he said, I think if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you're not going to be so worried about getting that Cadillac. 
you see, and I thought that was a good way to put it. When we are praying, we are praying in Jesus' name. We come to the Lord seeking that which pleases him, not us. And then we accept his answers because he is good and he is wise. And that's why sometimes the Lord doesn't answer the prayers the way we ask. We may legitimately be asking for something very good, and the Lord says no, because he has something that you don't see, that you don't understand, and you should trust him. With this then in mind, we must understand that there is nothing better we can do for the church, nothing better than we can do for one another than to pray for one another, than to pray for the church. And we see these, uh, this rather in the verses before us. We have considered that the Apostle and Timothy, while praying for these saints and faithful brethren, were giving thanks to God because of his work of grace in their lives through the ministry of the word in the hands of Epaphras, a beloved fellow bondservant who was a faithful servant of Christ on their behalf. Their lives were characterized by faith and love because of the hope that was laid up for them in heaven. The Lord had done this, as we pointed out last week. He did this work in them through the word of God. It was the word faithfully delivered, which brought about through the spirit of God, this new life that Paul and Timothy see in these Christians. Again, the application, very simple. You stay with this word. You stay with this word and with the men who will faithfully preach and teach it. That's, that's what God uses to grow his people. And so they give thanks, as is most appropriate, but they also then, as we approach verse 9 and, and come into this prayer, we see that they are not only giving thanks for the saints in Colossae, they're also praying for the saints in Colossae. And here we have um, a picture, we have an expression of how they prayed and for what kinds of things they prayed so that they too may know, the Colossians may know, that the Lord alone is the source of all blessing. We talked in Sunday school, really quite hand in hand here, hand in glove, of the whole idea. Where does a person grow? How does a person grow in the Lord? Right? This is what happens. Uh, Oftentimes we start in a church We went to vacation Bible school. We went to a Sunday school. We had somebody talk to us about Jesus Christ, and we believed. And all of a sudden, the Bible's no longer sophisticated enough for us. Well, we have to go on, and we have to get these further degrees. I have to have an experience. This guy over here has a vision. And we're putting our confidence in other things. It's not enough. I can't be a deep Christian and just focus on this. Can I? I can't be a deep Christian and, and, and be given to prayer. I have to go meditate or smoke something, pop something so that I have a hallucinogenic revelation. This is the way people think, and it's nuts. It's nuts. And what's beautiful is here, here we're seeing this, and again, the whole context, there are people infiltrating the church, and they're coming in with their experiences and their visions. They're coming in with all of this other stuff, and, oh, you've got to starve yourself. Why don't you climb that pole and sit on it? You'll have a revelation. They actually did that. They called them the pole sitters, ascetics, right? We're going to have an experience, and we're going to learn something. And it's very interesting to me 
that Paul, as he's writing, the apostle sitting in a and under house arrest in Rome somewhere in about 60 AD, and he starts off saying, isn't it really a wonderful thing, all this faith, love, and hope that you have because of the word that Epaphras brought to you, and you simply sat and listened to that word and look and behold all the wonderful things that are coming about in you. And so we're praying, furthermore, we're praying that more good things abound in you. Not nearly sophisticated for our world. And yet, and yet, lo and behold, we go to a wedding and I see the very thing playing out in this congregation that Paul, gotta tell you, gets me right there. You see this love in action and what's doing it it's not because, and you better not be smoking anything, it's not because of anything like that. It is because the Lord is at work in you. And because you do that ordinary thing of just sitting under the word and reading your Bible and prayer. It's a wonderful encouragement to us. Do you understand that? You know, we could, we could go anywhere in this town, find a big shade tree, and we could sit underneath it and we could just bring a Bible and you know you would have everything you need to grow in grace and in knowledge that's the beauty of our Lord that's the beauty of what he does and that's what we see here um, you don't start with the simplicity of the scripture and then move on to things more sophisticated and advanced you start with the scripture and you stay with the scripture and you pray and seek the Lord's blessing on his word and the lives of his people and the Lord grows his church he grows it this way and so that's why in part we, we were saying last week fathers how important it is my father tried it uh, leading us in family devotions I think it lasted about a week and a half before he said ay 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 this is going to drive me nuts. <laughs> and I think he had too high of expectation on us, seven children. You were too antsy, you know. You don't think anyone's listening. Someone's fidgeting with a fork. But the better example is you try to get him to sit still, and then you just read the scriptures, and you pray, and you talk to them. It's amazing what little minds, I really, I can't encourage you enough. Read the Bible talk to them about the Lord and pray with them. You will, you will do more for them than anything else you can do in the world uh, by doing that. Just love them in the Lord. So we see this. We see the fruit of these things. And then we see in verse 9 the necessity of prayer for the Christian for growth. And therefore, we draw this implication that because it's necessary because it's so important, it's the very thing that we ought not to cease to do for the congregation, for one another, and that is to pray. Listen to verse 9. They write, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Again, they have heard of the Lord's work of grace in them. Since they had heard of it, they had not ceased or neglected to pray for them and to ask 
that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word pray is a general term, a more comprehensive term, a reverent address to, uh, directed to a deity. The word ask, however, is a more specific word. It refers to making a definite and humble request. Paul and Timothy are specific for what they ask. Listen uh, to this, friends. They are not praying for the blessings that so many ask. And I really want to challenge us on this, and I really want to push back against our culture. When did we start, start to think that riches and prosperity and comfort in this world were the things that we should shoot for? We shouldn't. We really need to change our thinking on this. Notice what Paul, for the things he prays for, he doesn't pray for riches for them. He doesn't pray for their prosperity. He doesn't ask, Lord, keep persecution away from them. Rather, he says this, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Christians are like vessels which need to be filled. They are in Christ, but they are nowhere near where they will be and in time where they should be. These are relatively new Christians. Again, many suppose that to come to Christ is the aim of being a Christian, and many are satisfied with making a profession of faith in the Lord and then never going any further. That is not the end, but merely the beginning. I think I've shared uh, before with a friend of mine back in Fort Wayne who had a man come and say that our church has led 10,000 people to the Lord the past in just the past year. And my friend said, you must have a huge building. He goes, what do you mean? Well, you must be discipling these 10,000 people. He goes, oh, no, they never come to church. <laughs> and that's the way oftentimes in the Lord's church, that's what we were, we're, we're out getting people to make decisions. We would make excellent vacuum cleaner salesmen. We're out to make decisions, and we're not making disciples. And you notice Paul is not interested in in them staying where they are. They've started off on the right foot. Things are good, but they, they should go deeper. They should go further. They should come to know the Lord. They should be his disciples. We're not interested in just you making a profession of faith, having our children stand up here and, 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 and take the vows of membership and then sit down and never show an interest in the things of the Lord again. We're not interested in you doing that. You might be a member of the church, but do you know Jesus Christ? That's a question. That's a genuine question for us. I hope that the people standing up here and making a profession of faith, we hope, and, and as elders, we do our best to discern these things. But we can't always tell the heart of it. Well, we can't tell the heart of a person. We only know based on what they present, what they say. And so Paul wants them to go deeper. Um, we should not think that remaining in the early stages of our faith is the goal, but it is to grow, to mature, to discern, to know the difference between good and evil. And this is that for which they pray, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now when he says this, when he says this, he is asking for knowledge. He is not asking that God whispers truth to their brains. 
and fills them with this information that has come out of thin air. Okay? We've divided up, and I preach a paragraph generally, a paragraph at a time. And so while we've moved beyond what we did last week, now we're getting into prayer, and he's, he's saying, for this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. My question is, how do you think that knowledge comes to us? How do you think? We're praying for knowledge, right? So in our day, it's, okay, I'm an empty vessel. Just fill me up. Just bring it on. And, and give me special insights, give me um, uh, inspiration, give me something. There's two reasons why I know that that's not what's going on here, is because verse 4 through 6, again, listen to what he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. They had heard the word of truth and they believed the word of truth. It was the word that was bearing fruit and expanding the kingdom of God among them as it was in all the world. Where does this knowledge come from that we pray for? It comes from the scriptures. It comes from the Bible. And two, it was the very thing, this problem in the church was the very thing Paul is combating, where he says in Colossians 2.18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. These prayers are not given in exclusion of what has just been mentioned in verses 3-8, through eight, but as in conjunction with what has been said, if you want to grow in the Lord, listen to me, if you want to grow in the Lord, it is not by crossing your legs, sitting on a mountain peak somewhere, emptying your brains. It, it, I'm, I'm serious, and that's the way, even in the church, that's what we think. Oh, I don't need the Bible. I can just sit, and I can just ask God, and he's going to fill me. Do you know how dangerous that is? Seriously, friends, do you understand how dangerous that is? Nowhere in all of Scripture are we told to empty our brains. Even David, when he talks about meditating, he's meditating on the Word of God. He's not just clearing his, the memory banks and then the brain cells and just calling. You are opening yourself to who knows what kind of spirit. But it's the Word. He's praying that they would understand the Word. By reading it, meditating upon it, being exposed to the word repeatedly all of your days, and without this word, you will not grow. You will not grow. No Christian grows apart from the word of God. You will not mature. You will remain an infant. Do you struggle with sin? Um, uh, you might see, am I, am I wrestling with the word? Am I trying to listen to the word? Am I staying in the word? Without the word, we are easily deceived, led astray, and many remain trapped in their sin. And it's not, it's not, it doesn't take rocket science to see that in our culture, the church has suffered because the church has gotten away from the word. Right? We were repulsed by the Bible thumpers of the 50s and 60s. 
And so we, we presented a, a gentler, nicer gospel message in church service, and we got away from so much scripture and prayer. And we replaced it with music and, and fellowship hour and all these other things. We got away from the word. And as we get away from the word, we see that the church becomes ill and sick and weak and without a witness. Hence, look at the United States. There's a correlation there. So their prayers have to do with how they will respond to the word to which they are exposed. What they do with what they hear because we are truly in a spiritual battle. They seek God's blessing on his word and on his people that as they hear it, it will have a very specific result. They pray again that you will be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. One commentator said it very succinctly, it is vain to try to serve God without knowing what he desires of us. It is vain to try to serve God without knowing what he desires of us. Do you, do you know the Ten Commandments? I mean, this is like Christianity 101. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Every Christian should know the Ten Commandments. And I don't mean just kind of randomly. You should know the Ten Commandments. Every Christian should know the Lord's Prayer. We should know these things. We should know them. The Lord gave them to us. In, in Sunday school this morning, we, we were told and encouraged uh, Bible memory, memory verses, remembering the scriptures, learning the scriptures. How do we know what God desires? You have to pick up the word and you have to read it. You have to listen to it. Again, it's not rocket science. He has told you, says Micah, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? By knowledge is meant not a theoretic knowledge, I remember in the 80s we played Trivial Pursuit. And then if you were really spiritual, you played Bible Trivial Pursuit. And you loved the guy who could, who could whip out the facts. And he, you could put all the pieces of the pie in that little thing and win. right? And that became like the chief end of man is to win Bible Trivial Pursuit. Or to, to go to the quiz meets and, and win. But that's not the kind of knowledge... Uh, that Paul is talking about here, nor is it a secret knowledge, as we've referred to already. The true knowledge is found, says F.F. Uh, Bruce, he says, true knowledge is founded in practical religion. It is that knowledge which, as the Old Testament writers affirmed, starts with the proper attitude towards God. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's knowing that there is a God and that this is God's world, that there is a creator and we are creatures, that he is a master, we are servants. It is knowing his will, what he has revealed to us and not our wills. This is what the knowledge is. It is, it is uh, practical, it is grounded in the truth, it is understanding the, the way the scriptures instruct us so that we might latch on to this thing and say, yes, Lord, what is it you would have us do? Paul would say in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
As we are in this word, we hear it, and it challenges us. That's what we always hope that happens with, with preaching. That you sit there, I preach this word, and it's already hit me uh, a, a hundred times over as I'm preparing this, and I'm preaching it to you, and you're going, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I've been guilty of this. Oh, I've been thinking about this and, and looking at life this way. And it's challenging you. It's, it's exposing things in you. It shows you who God is, what he wants of us. It shows us what he uh, wants us to do. And we look upon Christ and see our need of salvation. And we rejoice in his loving kindness to us. And then we set about to love and obey him. This knowledge is at once both spiritual and practical. For many, however, this truth of scripture and the gospel is never internalized. They hear it, and as my father used to say often, it goes in one ear and out the other. This is not, my friends, where we want to be as Christians. This is not where Paul wants the Christians in Colossae to be just starting off the faith and then leaving behind. But starting in the word and remaining in the word and understanding what his will is. What does the Lord want from us? They pray and ask that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, my friends, prayer is necessary prayer for the word and its impact is necessary. In fact, if you just turn over uh, a couple of pages to Ephesians 6, we read this this morning, just verse 18. Listen to what Paul says. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Right? This is part of the offensive weaponry of our spiritual warfare. The full armor of God is our defense. The offensive weaponry is the word of God. And notice, prayer. And what do we see here in Colossians 1? The word of God and prayer. Same type of thing. It's a spiritual battle we're in. Satan will deceive us. He's praying that they not be deceived, that they would understand the will of God and that they would grow in the things of the Lord. So they pray. They pray to this end. This knowledge and spiritual wisdom has an aim, and that is a life that reflects this knowledge. We see this in verses then 10 through the first half of verse 12. Listen to this. So that you will walk in a manner. So we're praying, notice, we're praying that you have this knowledge, and secondly, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. Again, it's not a knowledge for knowledge's sake that they want to see the saints acquire, but a spiritual and practical knowledge that shows itself in the manner worthy of the Lord in a way that pleases him in all respects. Knowledge, true knowledge, will always be applied and theology, if truly understand, uh, understood, always wears sneakers. One of my professors used to say, there's no such thing as dead orthodoxy. Think about that. 
There's no such thing as dead orthodoxy because orthodoxy is never dead. Orthodoxy is living. And if it's not living, then you're not orthodox. The things of God, the theology, the, the, the Westminster standards that I'm always shoving a book in someone's hands, is not meant for you to read it and then to be dead to these things. It's meant to read and you say to yourself, oh, this is wonderful. Who, who wrote this thing? This, this, this helps me flesh out, puts a skeleton, and I can, I can understand how the scriptures fit together in this thing. The, the reason we read the Bible is so that you can understand who God is and you can say, oh, I didn't know this. I should have been living this thing out. Last thing we want in this world is, is for people just to come away and say, oh, you know, I've learned the, the chapter divisions of the Westminster Confession of Faith and I'm pretty good. That's not it. These things were meant to be lived. And as we come to know the God of the Bible, guess what happens? We change. And you will change because that's what happens when the word of God impacts people. They are praying that their lives reflect the knowledge of his will, that their conduct, says one commentator, that they conduct themselves in harmony with the responsibilities which their new relationship to God imposes and with the blessings which this new relationship brings. Paul says this in other epistles as well, in Philippians and in 1 Thessalonians. Here in Ephesians 4.1, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. To walk, then, is to regulate one's life, to conduct oneself according to this knowledge, which then is pleasing to him. It pleases the Lord when we live according to his truth. As we learn the truth, we live according to it. And it displeases the Lord when we don't uh, obey, obey his word. It's helpful if you turn over to Second Timothy, or rather Second Peter chapter 1. We went through this um, some time ago, actually, I think about a year ago or so. Second Peter chapter 1, you'll listen to this, and you'll see this same dynamic of what Peter, of what Paul is saying here in Peter, he says in, in 2 Peter 1, verse 5, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The temptation for us as Westerners is to say, I need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then I've arrived. Peter, a Jew, doesn't write this way. He's saying all of these things all at once are to be worked on. So you're, you're, you're improving your knowledge, you're, you're, you're growing in moral excellence, you're, you're putting off sin, you're doing this, um, and all at once, and, and you grow. You grow. Paul is doing the same thing here when he gives this list so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's not going linear. 
He's saying all of these things all at once are the things that we're aiming for as we pray for you, as we pray that you know his will, that you know what he wants of you. We're praying that all of these things simultaneously are growing, the ultimate goal being that you not remain babies in the faith, but that you start to mature in the things of the Lord through the word and through prayer. We are not to remain as children. So notice then what he says. In what ways do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? First of all, by bearing fruit in every good work. Trees produce fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. And you know a tree by its fruit, said Jesus in Matthew 7. You can tell a Christian if one knows Christ by how he speaks, by his priorities, how he treats others, and how he treats God. Again, Jesus warned of this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. My friends, if you know the Lord, it matters to you how you serve the Lord. And I am not saying that if you are a Christian, you won't sin. But rather, if you are a Christian, you also have a Christian approach to sin and to your sin and you confess it, and you turn from it, and you fight against it, because this is what the Lord has called us to. This is what he has given us, as we will see in just a minute. Paul says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. A clear knowledge of the Lord and what he has done, friends, changes us. It affects change in us. Secondly, he says, uh, it brings about, this knowledge brings about an increase in the knowledge of God. The better we know God, the better we love God and others. And as this happens, guess what happens? The deeper and richer our knowledge of God becomes we see an increase in the knowledge of God. When Andrea and I first got married, I knew the girl that I married. I knew her until the day we moved into the same house. (laughs) Um, We had done what we had promised each other. And as we did this, we got to know one another better and better. So after 33 and a half years, we are still getting to know one another but we knew each other, but we know each other a whole lot better now. Job, when he starts, he knows the Lord. 38, 39 chapters later, Job knows the Lord a whole lot better. As as we go to the Lord, as we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, you grow and you increase in the knowledge of the Lord. Third, he says that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Growing in knowledge leads to our being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. As we continue to grow, we are strengthened, we grow stronger. Oftentimes, my friends, we act as if uh, we are stuck in sin. Christians Christians act as if I, I can't help myself. That's not true. Perhaps you've never been pushed. You have the word of God telling you what he wants. 
and you strive to obey. And I really say this by way of encouragement because I know some of you uh, struggle with some things. Uh, I know all of us struggle with things. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed like we'll never get out of this. I'll never be set free. But my friends, you will be. But you stay in the fight. You strive to obey and you grow greater in knowledge and in love and you are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Paul would say this in Philippians 4, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right, The verse that's been used to justify people smashing ice blocks on their head and sinking a half-court shot on the basketball court. Um, Paul is using it in the context of sin, struggle, contentment. I have learned the secret of being content. I, I can do without or I can have much. It doesn't tempt me to go away from the Lord and having a little doesn't cause me to despair. I can do all these things through Christ who has strengthened me. What is the might? What is the strength that the Christian has at his disposal, friends? It is the power of God as seen in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ could be raised from the dead by the power of God, is there some shortage of power given to the Christian by which he can't conquer sin in his own life? No. No. Doesn't mean it's easy, but you get into the fight and you say, Lord, help me. And when I sin, I repent and I ask forgiveness. And then we continue on. This strength, this power we have to conquer the sin against which we struggle and to endure the hardships that we face, whatever they may be, we are told that they uh, are the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. The Lord gives us what we need. And what is the temptation to young Christians? It's to say, It's too hard, I'm turning away. Paul doesn't want them to turn away you have everything you need hold fast stay in the word stay in prayer finally he says joyously giving thanks to the father this leads then to our giving of thanks like Paul and Timothy to the father because we realize that all our blessings are because of him and we will look at this more next week I want to wrap this up I see you're tired this is what uh this is what Paul and Timothy have prayed for, for the Colossians. This, my friends, is what we too should be praying for one another, that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. My friends, our, our culture is quite seductive. It is quite seductive. And there's a lot of fake news out there. And let me caution you, it's not just on the left. It's on the right as well. You understand that. We have experiences that are abounding in sensationalism and a proliferation of information. The things that are best to pursue that will be to the blessing of your soul are found in the word. My son-in-law said something um, profound last evening. <laughs> Someone was looking up or I saw something on the computer about Babe Ruth not really dying and he actually plays Rafe Hollister on the Andy Griffith show that's, that's not the profound thing the profound thing was 
why are we spending so much time looking at Babe Ruth not dying and him becoming Rafe Hollister? And I think I said, what would you have us focus on? It wasn't me, by the way, looking up Babe Ruth. Um, he said, Bible. <laughs> and I laughed. I thought, you know, that's really a very profound statement he made, that our mental energies ought to be given to the Bible. Now you think about that in light of this context. What's he saying? Just that very thing. Why are you looking into myths about Babe Ruth not dying? You should be f keeping focused on the Bible. And with all of the information that is flooding our phones, our computers, and our televisions, and there's a lot, we need to be Christian, kept focused on the Word of God. Because as we know the Lord, everything else gets set in motion. The obedience, the strength, the knowledge, the, the glorying in the Lord, all of these things come together beautifully so that the Christian is not caught off guard. But it's a ploy from Satan. I firmly believe this, that we get distracted with all these other things and he gets our eyes off the Lord. And the moment our eyes are off the Lord, this is when we begin to falter. So, my friends, pray that you and your family, pray that your church family will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Secondly, spend time in the word getting to know the Lord and what he requires of you. Now look, read your Bible. Pray every day. If you don't read your Bible, invest a few bucks and get a nice audio version of the Bible. Listen to the Word of God. Turn on Pilgrim Radio as you're driving along. Do something to keep yourself in the Word of God and growing in the things of the Lord. And third, don't neglect to partake of the means of grace every single Sunday. We have a brand new married couple sitting in the very back. They've only been married one and a half days or close to two now. They're in worship on a Sunday morning. Way to go. You keep this up. And you won't be sorry. The priority has got to be there, friends. And how often um, our jobs, an invitation somewhere, an event, in a couple of weeks, Donald Trump's going to Casper. I dread it. I dread it. Not because it's Donald Trump or it's in Casper. I dread it from the standpoint of how many Christians are going to be too tired to go to church Sunday morning. Friends, I'm sorry. I think that's shameful. Now go and have a good time. Grab a nice burger along the way. I'll see you Sunday morning, the 29th, in church. I better. Jesus Christ is more important than Donald Trump. He is. Jesus Christ is more important. You see, it's, it's these priorities. We sideline Jesus. We push him aside. That's what, that's what the Colossians were doing. And that's why the church was suffering. And that's why Paul prays that they grow in their knowledge of the Lord. Friends, let's pray. We thank you, Lord, again for this day, for your word, and pray your blessing 
be upon it as it goes forward and I pray that you would protect us and help us help us Lord not to neglect to pray to, to pray Lord that you would give us a knowledge of your will that you would grant to us this practical and spiritual knowledge and we pray Lord that you would do this so that we might live in a manner that we might live our lives in a way that you are pleased that we might grow in knowledge and that uh, that we might again be a blessing to one another that we would be strengthened to overcome sin and that we would ultimately glorify you on that final day thank you for your love to us we pray that you would safeguard us and help us to be your witnesses i pray this in christ's name amen